this morning, I want to share uh, something with you, the Lord, from my heart. Um, as I was thinking of the last message, the last time that we get together officially as a body uh, in the year 2020. I know that we're getting together again on Thursday, but it's kind of like a little bit of a different kind of service, right? Uh, by the way, that, that service is only going to be an hour, so uh, just so that you know, four to five. <clears throat> um, but I, I felt like, Lord, what would you have me share with your body, with your church? And I was reading through uh, the book of John, and I got to J chapter 21 of John, and my spirit just lit up. Because I thought, wow, this is just incredible. And I started seeing some things that I had never seen in this chapter. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus' final words to his disciples, to the group, right, to the 12, as we read them in the book of John. And so <clears throat> these are final words that Jesus spoke to the disciples. Now, I know that he also met with them at a later time. He spoke with Peter before he ascended. He also, when he ascended into heaven, we know that he spoke to the 500. And those are, yes, other words that he spoke. I just want to focus on the final words of Jesus according to John chapter 21. Now, final words are important. I think uh, we all understand and realize that final words are a person's final articulated message that they want to state prior to their death or, uh, you know, as death approaches. Uh, now, here are some well-known people that have given some final words. Uh, when Harriet Tubman uh, was dying in 1913, she gathered all of her family, and they all sang together. And her final words before closing her eyes and going into heaven were, swing low, sweet chariot. Sir Winston Churchill, final words, this is the one that gets me every time I think about it. His final words on earth were these, I'm bored with it all. <laughs> bored with it all, okay, fine. Now, there's this man, Leonardo da Vinci, <clears throat> and um, we know that he was a you know, great painter, did some great stuff, right? But Leonardo da Vinci's words, I think, in my opinion, were perhaps overly modest, right? Because here's what he said. He said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. What? I guess the Mona Lisa was not a very good piece of art. I guess, I don't know. I guess he, his standards were pretty high, I guess he would say. You know, 2020 has been an unprecedented year and uh, if I were my deathbed, I'd probably say, holy moly, 2020, you know? I think we all would have our own, you know, way of saying 2020 has been an interesting year. But you know what? In these verses, Jesus' final conversation with his disciples, these words are very powerful. And they have some very strong implications in our lives. And so I want <clears throat> to take a moment to read them with, with you. And uh, it's John chapter 21. Verses 4 to 14. So if you have your Bible, turn it uh, to John 21, 4 to 14. Jesus said, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. 
Yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on the la- uh, sorry, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you, made, that you had just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the uh, net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This now was the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus, I believe, refined or redefined the final words that any man can actually give before the end of his life. And in these verses, we read our Three very, very meaningful things that I want to bring to our attention this morning. First of all, Jesus was standing on the shore. And he saw this group of rugged fishermen, right? He's just standing there. He's looking at them. And he says, children, do you have any fish? Now, I don't know about you, but that's a very interesting way of addressing a group of fishermen children if you've ever seen fishermen you know i grew up in a town where fishing was the number one trade i mean best fish in southern italy is where i come from and uh and these guys are rough they're not your day you know your your average worker in an office they're rough people i mean they work, and they work hard. They work through the night, many of them. And, and so here's Jesus. He's standing on the shore. He looks at them, and he says, Hey, children, do you have any fish? What? Hey, kids, you got any fish? What? Jesus? What would what, you call us? I mean, these were men that had fished the entire night and caught nothing. The last thing you want to hear somebody whether it's your father or Jesus is to call you, hey, kids, got anything? You think that Jesus didn't know, they didn't catch anything? Of course he knew. You might remember, in fact, in Luke chapter 5, that when Jesus asked Peter to throw the nets on the other side, Peter was not as enthused. You remember that? His response was, what? We've been fishing the whole night. Who do you think you are? We're fishermen. 
This is our trade. We, this is what we do. And you're just telling us to just cast the net on the other side? You think we've been wasting our time the whole night? But you see, there was something very important here. When he called them children, children in the Greek actually describes this particular word, a half-grown boy or girl, a child that is under training or needing strict oversight. It emphasizes an ongoing development. Think of that word right now. Don't forget that. An ongoing development that is necessary to reach the highest destiny, which is eternal destiny. The word children was also in the New Testament described to, to uh, talk about immature believers, just so you know. So if you're called kids, eh, maybe not the right word that you want to be called. But it, here's, here's the key to all this. The second time that Jesus asked Peter, cast the net on the other side. Did you notice the response? They just did. There was no objecting. There was no, what are you saying, Jesus? We've been fishing the whole night. They did it. And they threw the net on the other side. And in verse 6, it tells us, so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. It's incredible. You fish a whole night. You think that they would have remembered, right, from back in what happened when Jesus called them to be his disciples? That was the initial encounter that Jesus had with his disciples when he called them to be fishermen, fishers of men, right? And now he asked them again. I believe, and this is point number one, that Jesus was testing their progress in regards to obedience. In regards to obedience. Remember that ongoing development? In Luke chapter 5, the beginning, when he calls them, they were like mad. They were not too happy. I know that the Bible doesn't describe it perfectly in those terms, but I can just imagine. If you've had any dealings with fishermen, <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, I um, last year we went to, was it last year, a year and a half ago, two years ago? Two years ago we went to uh, Lois's hometown I had never been and we went fishing <clears throat> and we caught a bit of fish and so we stopped and uh, and and we gave the fish you know I caught a nice big cod it was about this long from you know the floor to my hips I was like excited let's get that fish let's cook it let's have you know a nice cookout and uh, and so we brought the fish to these fishermen they were just out in the boat and they were splitting cod I tell you, man, these guys were rough. And they were talking, and, you know, like, if you're like a Puritan believer, you just want to go like that, nah, 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 you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> but they, I'm, I'm just trying to get you to understand that Peter, James, and John, and the crew, they were not office workers with clean hands, you know? They were rough guys. And they understood, and Jesus understood what he was doing. And so God was working in process in them. I believe that the process of obedience is a very important process. He asked them to throw the net on purpose because he wanted to see the progress that they had made in three and a half years of walking with him. What was the progress? Complete obedience. Complete obedience. God will always work with us, guys. God is not going to 
take us and, and leave us on the side if we disobey one time. If things don't go perfectly the way that we anticipate or the way that we think that God expects us to respond. He's not going to say, oh, you know what? Ah, hey, you know what? You just, you were not a good, you are not a good Christian. I'm just going to put you aside and use somebody else. God will work with us. Now, if you failed yesterday, get up. If you failed and, and, and you did not perfectly obey the Lord in the circumstances that you were living where God put something to the test in your life, do not allow circumstances to derail you from growing in the Lord. Do not allow the enemy to come with shame and, 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 and just cause you to think that, you know what, your life is okay without him. Because it is not. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 is a key chapter in the life of King Saul. Uh, the Israelites were out. Uh, they were fighting the Amalekites. And uh, <clears throat> they, the Amalekites were a terrible nation. They were wicked as you can imagine. And so what happened is that God said to them, go after them. He gave them the okay. Go after them and destroy everything and everyone. If you know the story, you know that something did not quite go according to plans. The Lord clearly told Saul to not spare anything. Saul, we know, defeated the army of the Amalekites. He destroyed them all, but not quite. He kept some of the possessions, and then he also they also spared the king, King Agag. Maybe they wanted him as a trophy of their incredible feat. I don't know. But I, will know, I, I do know this, that Saul tried to even lie to a prophet, to Samuel. I don't think it's a good idea to lie to a prophet. Not a good idea at all. But Saul tried to say, well, you know what? We, we got some of the stuff, you know, for, for sacrificing those to the Lord. You know, we wanted to offer the Lord the best. And, and so we spared some of the animals. And we, we, you know, we kept King Agag as a, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. Quite frankly, Saul tried, but you know what? Samuel saw, uh, told Saul that he had disobeyed God. In verses 10 and 11, the word of the Lord was quite harsh to King Saul. He actually said that he regretted making him the king. Not a good day. Can you imagine being told by God, I regret that I got you to be the king of Israel? Not a good thing. Not at all. So look at these verses. They're on the screen. But Samuel replied, and you know what? We know these verses really well. We can quote them, but living them is a totally different scenario, isn't it? But Saul replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than the offering, that offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. That, this is a, I have to tell you guys, this is a verse that actually frightens me. And it should frighten us when we rebel against the word of the Lord. When we willfully do not obey. And stubbornness is bad as worshiping idols. 
as bad as worshiping idols. Think about it for a moment. How many times have I, have you, been stubborn with God? How many times have we said no to the Lord because we just did not feel it was the right thing for our lives at that time? We kind of became our own gods. But you know what? That is equal to worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the commands of the Lord, Samuel told Saul, he has rejected you as king. You know, <clears throat> what God was saying to Samuel that day is that to obey is better than embracing the sacrificial system that was so important to the Hebrews because you know what? The sacrificial system that God had given them was the way that the people of God would actually approach God. So he is telling them, you know what? If you disobey, you can offer the best, the most powerful, the most beautiful sacrifices that you might have. But if your heart is not with me, if your heart is not one that is in tune and in line with me, in obedience to my word, then all of that is useless. I don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear that. I don't know about you, but that's a hard thing to hear. Because so often we think, we think that it's okay to just disobey the Lord in certain things. Not all things, just certain things. Like, you know, I, I don't know. There, there'll be a couple of things that I'm sure they're probably, you know, coming into your mind right now. Did I disobey the Lord on that? You know what? This is not meant to be a, a message of condemnation, but one that would arise in awakeness, an awareness in us to awaken us to the reality that God demands obedience. He demands it. He's not just giving us an option about well, whether you like it or not. Obedience is better than sacrifice and anything else that we can do. You know what? We can sing. We can pray. We can talk Christianese all day long. We can pray in tongues. We can do whatever we think are the most powerful things in Christianity. But unless we have a posture of obedience before the Lord in our lives, I think it's all empty chatter, isn't it? It's all words. God desires obedience. But there's another thing that I see in these verses. In verses 9 and 11 to 11. Uh, of our text. It says that when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place and with fish that was laid on it and, and bread as well. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, there's a couple of things that I have uh, really missed from this passage, and I've read it probably, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say hundreds of times, but close to it, a number of times. Jesus knew that they were going to catch fish. And he decided to make them breakfast. So he got on the shore and he made them a little fire. And, and you look at the text, that when they got out on land, they saw 
a charcoal fire. He probably built a charcoal pit. You know, Jesus was a great master barbecuer. I don't know. I, you know, that looks like that to me. I don't know about you, but, uh, but you know, he had fish laid on it, and he also made bread. It's amazing. I like that kind of Jesus. I think we all like that kind of Jesus that nurtures us, right? Did Jesus need, need their fish? If you look at the text, did Jesus need their fish? The answer is no. Why? Because Jesus had already prepared the grill was ready, and he had fish on it, and he had bread on it. So why did Jesus say to them, bring me some of your fish? Why? So here's the deal. I think Jesus asked them for something that was very, very precious to them. Think for a moment. You work a whole night and you catch 153 fish. I don't know how many of them were in that boat. It was a number of the disciples. And they had to take that to the market. I'm sure that they probably had to do something. I'm quite certain there was no ice in that day to ice the fish. You know, so they probably just took them to the market <clears throat> as they were for their own living. This was important to them. It was their treasured possession at that point. They had not caught anything. All of a sudden, they have 153 large fish to sell. Why in the world would you ask us to bring some fish, Jesus? You got fish already there. You know what? Jesus was looking for their contribution. Jesus was looking for their contribution. And just like in the case of obedience, God is looking for the contributions that we make to the kingdom of God when we say, yes, Lord. Now, you know, Peter, he got very excited. He's like, Jesus, you want fish? Sure. He just went in there all by himself, grabbed 153 fish by himself. This guy just does it all or none. I love it. I love Peter. But, you know, he was asking for their contribution. He was asking for their contribution. Matthew 6, 21 says this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to take a moment. I'm going to give you 30 seconds and ask yourself this question. What is the most precious thing in my life? Ask yourself that question. What is the most treasured thing in my life? You know, when you find what that most treasured thing in your life is, you will find that it is right next to the affection of your heart. The thing that's most important to you is what your heart desires the most. And so, Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be there as well. And that can be confusing because you need to look at yourself at face value and you ask yourself, okay, 
So what is the most important thing for me? Is that money? That's where your heart is. Is that your amazing looking vehicle that you bought, that you wash every Saturday, <clears throat> whether it's 33 degrees outside or, or 103, I don't know. Uh, is, could it be your possession? Could it be your lake house and the boat? Could it be your children? Could it be your job? Anything that replaces God in your life is not the right replacement. It's not the right approach. Anything is a status, is accolades of people. Anything good can become an idol in our lives. And, and I believe that today the Lord is reminding us, hey, what is it that is the most treasured thing in your life? Anything. You say, uh, David, you're saying that my children can become my idol? Yes. Absolutely yes. Because you know what? Beyond your ability to take care of your own children, God is the final authority. God is the final authority. So let raise them in the ways of the Lord. And then let the Lord take them and do what he wants to do with them. What is the most precious thing to me? You see, we ought to give God the best, no doubt about it. He demands even from, <clears throat> from our giving, from a financial giving perspective, the first fruit of everything that we have. Not just financially, but in every area of our lives. Now, when it comes to giving our tithe and giving our offerings, when we reject God's instruction and the command and we don't give, you know what? It, become, it could be because our possessions have taken a higher priority and have become an idol in our lives about what God says in His Word. Ask yourself the question. That's between you and God. You know, when we choose not to serve, when we choose to not invest our time in the things of God, when we are basically just saying, you know what, I'm just going to stand back and I'm just going to let other people take care of it and do it. Well, I think we are on the losing end of every decision that we make that places anything else above God in our lives. I truly believe that. Do you believe that? We're on the losing end. Of every time we make a decision. Now listen to this. Haggai chapter 1 verses 3 to 9 is a very powerful scripture. It says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai by Haggai the prophet saying. Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house lies desolate? Now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. It's like the same question. Think about what is your greatest possession. Consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put them into a purse with holes. That, that we don't want that. We do not want that, guys. What God is saying here is, man, if you make yourself the top priority of your life, as many of you have, here's what's going to happen. That you're going to sow much, but you're going to harvest little. 
You're going to eat, but will not satisfy. Drink, but not become drunk. Put on clothes, but not be warm enough. You will earn wages, but you will have like holes in your purse. And whatever you earn will just go away. Have you ever heard of people that just can't never make enough money? Because they're just, there's like something is weird in their financial situation. Maybe that's happened to you. And you, like, you look at yourself and you're like, I, I'm, I'm working hard. I'm earning a good pay. But it's like, what? Where's my money going? Where's my money going? Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains. Bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with, what, with, with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I... God says, blow it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, <clears throat> which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. I want you to know that as a church, we are very, very cautious with what we do with the finances and all the money that is given, all your tithes and offerings. We're in a, in a situation, we're like, you know, we've literally been approached by a couple of families this year that are in need. We want to bless them. We can't bless people unless we have the means to be able to do it. We want to not just be able to also just give, but we want to be able to take care of actual practical needs in our community. And people that we know and we love and we respect. And we just want to be able to support some of those ministries as well. You know what? When you give, guys... You're giving to further the kingdom of God right here in this church. If you call this your, your church family, I, I'm telling you right now, guys, give the best that you can because you're giving to the Lord. You're not giving to a, a person. You're not giving to a church. Whenever we give, we give to God. Do not be skimpy with your giving. God knows our issues. He knows our situations. God is not going to demand of you that you give above what you can be able to do what you're able to do but you know what remember that the widow's little mite was before Jesus as precious and as valuable as someone that had a lot of money to give and so be generous with the Lord because your generosity will accompany his generosity in your life he will you know when Peter went to fetch the fish, there was something very interesting that, that uh, John tells us here. He says, and although there were so many fish, 153 large ones, the net was not torn. Now, we, with our excuses, with our reasons, I believe, when we bring those up, we limit God. We limit the full extent of what God wants to do in our lives. And every one of us, is in the same boat. We limit the Lord. You say, why? Because we put ourselves in our comforts about what God is saying in His Word that we should do. We put limits on a limitless God when we say, mm, not this. Not this. Not this area. Humanly speaking, that net should have torn. But you know, what God provides for, God will help you sustain. I'm going to say it again. What God will provide for you. He will help you sustain that very thing that he's providing for you. 
You know, yes, church life balance is important. I believe that it is. But let's not be so skimpy also with our investment in God's work that we become more concerned with our lives than the eternal things of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. It's for his sake we will find it. God is looking for contributors in the kingdom. He's looking for obedient contributors. So we see obedience. We see contribution. But in verse 12, and I close with this, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew who he was. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Every word in this verse is so important. Every word. Imagine being on the beach. Jesus is there. He's prepared you breakfast. But you say, wait a minute. Jesus, that same Jesus, we saw him on the cross. And he was dead. And then we went to the tomb and he wasn't there anymore. Does it make sense to you that a dead man cooks breakfast? Doesn't make sense. None of this passage, when you look at it with human eyes, makes sense. But you know what? They were on the beach with their master, with their teacher. And he was inviting them. He says, you know what? He says, come, let me make breakfast for you. Let me feed you. And so their eyes, you can say, were closed to the reality of Jesus. At that point, at that moment, look at the words. None of them, none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew who he was. Now, that first part before they knew who he was would not be there unless they were doubting. Think about it for a moment. They doubted. This was the third time that they had been with Jesus after the cross, after the resurrection. Jesus appeared to them three times, John says. This was the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. Yet even then, they had doubt. They had doubt that it was They knew deep inside that it was Jesus, but somehow they doubted. Have you ever felt like in a service, when God's moving, the presence of God is just sweeping across, and you're like, okay, it's great service. You're not feeling anything. Like, you're actually asking yourself, what is going on? What's happening right now? I'm not sure that I understand what's happening. But you know what? The disciples knew deep inside, and I believe that for each and every one of us, that the enemy comes with doubt and unbelief in the times when the presence of Jesus wants to be manifested. Remember, Jesus was inviting them. He said, hey, come, come. That's an open invitation. Come, eat with me. Come, dine with me. What do we read that again? In Revelation chapter 3, he stands at the door and 
He knocks. And if any of us would open the, the, the door of our hearts, he will come in and dine with us. Jesus was doing what he actually, John prophesied later on when he was in, in, on the Isle of Patmos, that he saw Jesus doing the same thing to the church of Laodicea. Asking them, hey, if you open up your heart, you come in, you will dine with me. You know what? There's an open invitation that Jesus gives to each and every one of us. Church. He wants to dine with us. He wants to spend time with us. I love that this morning when we were in the prayer room, Michael, I really appreciate it when you mentioned that song. He started reading the words of a song, When I Lock Eyes With You. That is just such powerful, powerful words. You know what? Jesus wants to lock eyes with you and me. And he wants us to experience his presence. He invites us today. You know what? Drop your nets. Drop your cares. Drop the worries of life. Drop everything. Come and dine with me. You know, my wife and I love to, to we love to have people over for dinner. You say, why is that? Because you know what? When you have someone over to your house for dinner, you can just be yourself. You let your hair down. You're, you know, you're relaxed. I think, I hope, I hope that you're relaxed. But you know what? Um, if you come and have dinner at our place, you know, you might find me in my very comfortable uh, sweatpants, very large and comfortable sweatpants. And every once in a while, you'll find me in my Crocs. Actually, more often than not, you'll find me in my Crocs. Don't you hate my Crocs? <laughs> They're very comfortable. <laughs> but you know what? There's something very homey and comfortable about having lunch or dinner or breakfast at somebody's house. Because it really, you can just see their hearts. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, you can't, you can't try to be somebody that you're not. It, who you are in that moment reveals everything about you when you're having a dinner and meal with somebody when you're actually serving a meal to somebody. Jesus was serving a meal to his disciples for the last time. And all the love of Jesus, everything was manifested at that point, at that moment. Because you know what? You actually see a father. You see a friend. You see someone that wants to lock eyes with you. When I lock eyes with you, I see my reflection. You know what? Do we see the reflection of Jesus when we lock eyes with him? Christianity, apart from relationship, is religion. Christianity, apart from relationship, is just religion. It's just words. It's just an exercise. You know what? <clears throat> We're in the midst of a pandemic, and coming together here, has to be more than just the exercise of going to church on Sunday. We don't want just church anymore. I personally don't want just church anymore. 
I want to be able to see the presence of God manifest. I want to be able to hear testimonies like Robert shared earlier that the Lord touched him and things are well. I want to be able to hear more of those. And it's not contingent on me. It's not contingent on you. It's contingent on God. But also, he looks at the condition of our hearts. And he is looking for a heart that is open and wants to receive him. And so he calls us, he invites us, will you come and dine with me? Would you go to the piano? I want to take a, a moment before we leave today. Would you stand with me? The Lord is calling us to obedience. He's calling us to contribute to the kingdom of God. He's calling us He's inviting us in. These are Jesus' final words in John. The final time that he spoke to his disciples. And there, it's a, there's, a, there's some incredibly powerful lessons there for all of us. My heart this morning is that your heart will be open. To say, Lord, I may not have uh, obeyed in every single opportunity and circumstance of my life but you know Lord I just I do want to obey can we do the song Lord I give you my heart would you play that and uh, I want us to sing that song and it's a very very simple song I think we all know it we'll just sing the chorus Lord I give you my heart I give you my soul I live for you alone and I don't know the condition of your heart you know your heart this morning but would you do me a favor before you leave this place, find a corner, come to the front of the altar, kneel down, stand up, stay right where you are, whatever works for you. But will you just say, Lord, I want to recommit my level of obedience to you. And I want to recommit my commitment, <laughs> recommit my commitment to contributing to the kingdom of God and then accept that invitation that Jesus says come so would you do that let's just sing this song just the, the chorus <clears throat> Jesus Lord I give you my heart I give you my soul I live for you alone Every breath that I take Every moment I'm awake Lord, have your way in me Lord, I give you my heart I give you my soul Every 
Father, we just want to give you praise and glory and honor. You're a good God. You're so patient with us. As you were with the disciples, you worked with them and and such great results in their lives, God, because your patience and your desire to see them uh, fulfilling the call of God that you have placed on their lives just was manifest. In that last encounter with you, Lord, we just see growth. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would be those people that would just open up our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, do a work in us. Lord, if we have been disobedient, we ask you humbly, we ask you to forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have disobeyed. Forgive us for the things that we should have done that we did not do. Forgive us when we said no and we should have said yes. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that your goodness and your grace and your mercy will be extended to each and every one of us. Father, I pray that our hearts will be open to receive that invitation that you give us to come and spend time with you. Lord, do not let us walk away. Do not let our lives walk away without the reminder by your spirit that you want us to grow. That you want us to see your glory manifested in our lives. Father, I pray for this group of people, Lord, and you know every heart. And we pray, Lord, your blessing over every individual, every woman, man and child. That God, your presence would just be so real. And that, Lord, we would desire to spend time with you more than anything else. We thank you. We bless you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.